Good morning, Saints. It is indeed an honor to, uh, to be here. I want to thank Pastor Scott for the, for the invitation. Um, as he mentioned, Anita and I have been privileged to uh, be involved in a lot of ministry in, in Greater Cleveland for a number of years, and, and, and all of the things he said we were able to accomplish, and they say anointing and all that, it's, it's old age. When you've been around a long time, you just get to do a lot of things, so we thank the Lord uh, for that. Uh, we have been blessed to be on uh, WCRF every other Wednesday morning for the past few months, just sharing what we're doing in Greater Cleveland, and uh, we've hosted Moody Bible Institute at our church since 2010, and we're in the process, Lord willing, of adding an educational wing so that we can ramp up our offerings there. And uh, we started a community development corporation so that we can reach our uh, needy community for Christ. So we appreciate and covet your prayers in that area. It was an honor to be here this, this morning. I just, I just sense God's power flowing through us as we shared it. And I just noticed I'm, I'm wearing a lavalier that says Scott on it. And so that's where all that energy came from. I got <laughs> Pastor Scott's mic. And so uh, now that I understand what's going on, I feel so deeply appreciative of, of the honor that is mine this morning. Uh, probably look a little different than Scott, but you know, just blot that out. Um, <laughs> but it is a privilege and honor to share the word of God with you. And in just a few moments, we're gonna to talk to you from the subject, seeing others as Jesus sees them. If you haven't done so already, if you would open your Bibles to Mark chapter 3, and we will prepare to receive the Word of God. Gospel of Mark chapter 3. And if you would just unite your heart with mine in a, in a word of prayer. Father and our God, we thank you for the privilege of hearing your voice through your holy word, we pray that you would indeed arrest our attention, that we would receive uh, the message from you that you brought us here to receive this morning. We pray your blessing upon this precious congregation, Lord. We pray that you would use them mightily to make a difference as they uh, live out the body of Christ, not only in, in this part of Northeast Ohio, Lord, but wherever you Send them and empower them, Lord, to be your hands, your eyes, your feet. Uh, bless Pastor Scott and this team, Lord, to uh, continue to make a difference for you. Uh, we pray again, Lord, that you would tailor a message for every heart here and that each of us would bring forth a Christ-honoring response for our good, but most importantly, for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I am... So honored to, to share with you from the Word of God. It is, it is a privilege to have the opportunity regularly to stand before people and talk about Jesus Christ. And I'm, I'm intrigued with how Jesus did things, just how, how fearless he was, how countercultural he could be. And I pray that as we hear the Word of God together this morning, that you would be challenged and encouraged to make a difference for Christ as you see things the way he wants you to see them. Uh, the setting for our passage this morning uh, is in a, in a synagogue, a, a place of worship, a local place of worship, if you will. And, and, and as we expound the text this morning, understand Jesus could have done what he chose to do privately, but he chose to do it publicly for a number of reasons. And one of them is because he wants us to learn to see people 
the way he sees them and respond the way he would respond. Gospel of Mark chapter 3, starting at verse 1, the word of God says, And he entered the synagogue again. And a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Step forward. Then he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. In my lifetime, I've seen a lot of changes in society and, and culture that I never dreamed would be possible. I was sharing with the congregation earlier today that I am old enough to have traveled down south uh, with my parents to where they were born and reared. I was born in Cleveland, but every summer we would go down south. And I am old enough to have been in public stores that still had uh, white-only, colored-only restrooms and, and water fountains. And, and so it is a blessing to see a lot of the progress that has taken place. I, I shared with the group this morning that I was speaking at Grace Church some years ago, and my mom was still alive. And, and I'm preaching, and she starts tearing up, and I'm thinking it's because I'm preaching so good. <clears throat> Only to find out later that she said I never thought I'd live long enough to see an African-American young man preaching at a predominantly white church and being able to worship together and feel loved and accepted. And so it helped me start to see things through my parents' eyes as I took some things for granted that they were denied as children. And yes, all of this has taken too long, and a lot of that is because it takes us too long to see others the way Jesus wants us to see them. And so with that Setting in mind, we, we go to verse 1, and here's a man who enters the synagogue with a withered hand. Now, the text says Jesus entered the synagogue again, which is there to remind us that he has been a frequent visitor at this particular synagogue. The religious leaders know who he is and know what he's capable of doing. And so the man who was there with a withered hand is also is somewhat of a regular there. I want to lock in for a moment on this word, withered. See, there are people around us all the time whose lives are withering away. Their, their lives are wasting away, if you will. See, th this word withered tells us something. This man in the synagogue had, had suffered an injury. He, he wasn't born this way. Extra-biblical texts tell us that he, he was a stonemason earlier in his life. Luke tells us specifically it was his right hand that had been injured. And now atrophy and, and paralysis. And, and so he has lost the opportunity of working for a living. And so he just feels his life, his value are wasting, withering away. 
There are a lot of people who come in our churches every Sunday who feel the same way. Maybe we don't see a physical injury, but there's been an injury. There's been something that has happened, and all of their hopes and joys and dreams are slowly being crushed, and they feel like their lives are just wasting and withering away, and they walk in our doors. And a lot of times we don't even notice them because we don't see them the way Jesus wants us to see them. Likely he's sitting in the back. The religious leaders would sit up front. The guest of honors would sit up front, but people like him would typically just sit in the back, not really wanting to be noticed yet in a lot of pain. But when we look at people the way Jesus sees them, we start looking for people intentionally saying, maybe there's someone here who needs a handshake, a hug, a hello. Just make them feel welcomed. I've been in those situations where I felt like the odd person out. Matter of fact, as I'm looking out, you guys look different than me. For, am, I, am I missing something? Just kidding. <laughs> I was with Dr. Dr. Gary Benedict, our former former president at a, at a general council. Uh, he had just become president. I had just become board chairman. But a lot of people didn't know me. And, and so he said, Ron, how, how come we're African-Americans don't come to council? And I said, watch. And so I'm standing there talking to Gary, the, the newly elected president. And everybody's coming up and congratulating him and, and acted like I was just a piece of furniture. Didn't say excuse me, didn't say anything to me. And after that happened three or four times, Gary literally, he'll tell you himself, he literally started to tear up. Because he'd have never noticed the things that I noticed when people don't notice you because you're different. See, so we, we all, we're united forever because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And we need to show the world the unity that we have in Christ and show the love that we have in Christ and make the stranger the one who looks different, the one who may be hurting in a different way than you are, make them feel loved, make them feel welcomed. I want to suggest to you this man with the withered hand frequently went into that synagogue wanting to hear from God, wanting to hear from the people of God, and was very much ignored. Verse 2 says, so they watched him closely. If you have grown up in the old King James or New King James, the text that I'm reading is New King James, the word him is capitalized so that you notice that the religious leaders aren't watching the man with the withered hand closely as much as they're watching Jesus closely. Why? Mystery solved right there in the text. Whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might bring a charge against him. Did you catch that? The religious leaders knew that Jesus was compassionate and powerful. They knew more than likely he was going to heal this gentleman. So they're watching him intently to see if he's going to break one of their Sabbath restrictions by healing this man on the Sabbath day. But at least they as wrong as it was, they came with the sense of expectation. There are, 
people in our church who come with absolutely no sense of expectation. Are you one of them? I tell our congregation often, when, when I walk into a restaurant, and obviously I've walked into many, I walk in with this sense of expectation. I expect service. I expect a good meal. I have expectation when I go into a restaurant, a sporting event. Why would we come into the presence of the living God, the almighty, all-powerful one, with no sense of expectation that anything could happen differently. What an insult. The Pharisees expected that Jesus might heal this man. I wonder if he came in thinking that, okay, life has been going wrong for years, but today might be the day that God notices me and something different happens in my life. I don't know what was on your heart when you walked in here today, but I hope you walked in here with the sense of expectation that the living God might change my life, my circumstance, my whatever today. Verse 3. Jesus speaking, he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. You know, when you're feeling different when you feel like you're the oddball, when, when you feel like there's something about you that makes people look at you differently, you, you don't always want to be noticed in the front. I want to suggest to you that this man is sitting in the back of the synagogue, and Jesus just told him, would, would you come on down and stand in front of everyone? See, this crippling injury he had would have caused him to feel different, and, and some people felt that these kind of injuries were a sign of God's judgment. Remember Jeroboam when he had sinned against the Lord and, and God struck him in judgment and he lost the use of his arm? See, some of the religious people automatically thought that this man's condition was a direct judgment of God against him because of sin. I've been at churches where people do that. You know, they're like Job's friends. Well, if something's going wrong, there must be some horrible, unconfessed sin that you're not owning up to. Instead of trying to find out why that person is hurting and seeing if they can show the love of Christ to them. I often thought about in the synagogue when the worship is going on and you know, and, and the worship leader, I'm assuming they had a Scott Brooks back at the synagogue, but they're the leading worship and it's getting great and everyone's lifting their hands in praise and prayer. Except one guy who, he couldn't lift his hand. A special kind of pain that he endured because he was different. He was hurting. He couldn't do what, what others could do. But yet he's in the house of God where people should have made him feel loved. You know, there, there's a lot in the news today about, about refugees, about immigrants, about strangers. Have, have you ever taken a moment to think, what if, God forbid, America was invaded and overrun, and we had to flee for our lives to Mexico, Canada, Cuba, wherever? 
And suddenly, you who were a six or seven figure executive one day, a lawyer, a doctor, a civic leader, all of a sudden you're somewhere else and you're just a face in the crowd. Wouldn't you want the people of God at least to make you feel loved and special, even though you've lost everything else that was near and dear to you, you're still you. You're still the same person, you just lost the stuff. And God sees you as the same, and he wants his people to see other people through his eyes. Because as great as we have it here, there's no guarantee we're always gonna have it. And we need to see people the way Jesus wants us to see them. So Jesus calls the man to come and step forward. And then in verse 4 he says, Then he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they kept silent. If you've read this passage in the other Gospels and in, in, in Mark or in Luke, you'll notice there, there are other details there. And, and in Matthew, you, you notice that there's a piece of conversation that Mark doesn't record. And, and let me paraphrase. Jesus is, is basically telling these guys who are waiting to see if he's going to do this act of healing, this act of mercy on the Sabbath. He confronts them and says, you would pull your animal out of a ditch or out of danger or relieve his pain on the Sabbath. How dare you have a problem with me helping a human being on the Sabbath. By their rules, by their interpretations, by their restrictions, the only thing you could do on the Sabbath in regards to healing were if it were a life or death situation. It's funny, it's, it's tragic if you were to read some of the laws and regulations they had added about what was work. For example, on the Sabbath day you could spit on a rock. But if you spit on the ground, you were making mud, and that was work. No, I'm serious. I'm not making this stuff up. If a building of some sort had fallen on you, they would remove enough from you so that you wouldn't die, but they wouldn't take the next step to get you help. A tailor would not carry a needle with him on the Sabbath day so he wouldn't be tempted to actually sew and do some work. The, the list of what they had determined was work goes on and on and on. But by their interpretation, for Jesus to heal a non-life-threatening injury on the Sabbath day was work and a violation. God has never made laws to restrict us from doing acts of kindness, love, and Christ-like mercy on any day of the week. You may have noticed that on the news they, they've, they've done some research and said, if, I may not be quoting the figure correctly, I think it was like $60 billion that we spend on our pets every year. I mean, I, I've seen some pet spas that are much better than any spa I've ever been to. And, and I'm not against pets. I mean, we, we have a cat that kind of runs our household. But 
we don't spend all of our money taking her to the spa. Definitely not more money than we would give to missions or, acts or places of compassion and mercy. But here's a human being in pain, and the religious people said, you can't help him on the Sabbath day. He's not dying. Yeah, he is. He's dying slowly. He's been hurting a long time. And, and Jesus backs us in a corner when, when he says to them, as he says to us, is it lawful, is it right to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save life or to kill? He's only given you two choices here. If you're not doing what's right, you're doing what's wrong. What was the old slogan? You're either part of the solution or you're part of the problem. You're either helping or you're hurting. There's, there's no neutrality here. You're either saved or you're lost. You're either dead or you're alive. And, and Jesus is saying, hey, gentlemen, people of God, if you are not actively involved in helping to save lives, by your so-called inaction, you are actually destroying lives. See, a lot of us think we can be neutral on these kinds of issues, and Jesus is saying no. Either help the situation or you're associated with those who are continued to perpetuate and hurt and kill and destroy. We have a slogan at our church when when the preacher is saying things that apply to directly to us, we say, would you please stop parking in my driveway and go park in someone else's? I, I love those sermons when the preacher is getting somebody else told. Would, would you talk about their sins and not mine? See, if you study the whole word of God, guess what? You're going to find a lot of stuff that you need to deal with, not just everybody around you. And so we all need to take the time and push back and say, am I helping make this a better world, a better place, or I'm contributing to the problem? Am I actively helping to save lives? Because if I'm not, Jesus says, I am actually helping to destroy. Did you notice the response in verse 4? Like it is right now, silent. Didn't you used to hate it when, when your parents would catch you doing something and they'd ask you a question and you, you knew the moment you answered you were dead in the water? So you didn't say anything. And the, the very silence meant I am as guilty as I could be. See, they, they knew Jesus had them trapped. They knew it was always a good thing to help save life. So they didn't say anything. I want you to catch this next verse, verse 5. There, Mark says something here that, that Matthew and Luke don't record. Verse 5, are you with me? And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. See, the Lord knows when religious pride is preventing true worship, when rules matter more than relationships. My question to you and to myself today is, is he angry with what he sees in our heart condition? 
the, the text says, he's asked the question, he looks around the room, nobody's saying anything, and, and Mark records that Jesus Christ expresses anger, and he expresses grief. A lot of people don't understand that God can be angry. I mean, we're told to be angry without sinning. I haven't mastered that one. Usually when I get angry, I quickly sin in response. But a holy God has to get angry at injustice. He has to get angry when human beings are not loving the way he wants them to. It, it depends on where you are in relationship with someone. Sometimes you, you interpret the actions differently. For example, if someone were bothering, hurting, harming your precious three-year-old child, and you came out and proceeded to beat the living daylights out of them, your child would say, oh, look how I am loved. The one receiving the beatdown would be seeing an expression of your anger. Same action. This depends on what side of the relationship you're on. See, a loving God has to get angry at injustice and people who were created to love, not loving, people who were created to care, not caring. And so Jesus looked at these men who were supposed to be the sharpest scholars walking around Israel, and he's angry with them. And yet at the same time he's angry, the text says he's grieved. That's something else I haven't mastered. I can't be mad at you, angry with you, and grieving for you at the same time. I may be grieving after I harm you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but Jesus, at the same time he is angry, he is grieving. Why? He's, he's grieving at the hardening of their hearts. And the consequence is going to come from, he's grieving. He's angry with them, but at the same time, it's breaking his heart to see how callous and cold human hearts are becoming. I hope you're not grieving the heart of God by choosing to ignore situations that you could step into and make a difference. In the meantime... This gentleman is standing, as we like to say, on Front Street. He's responded to what Jesus told him to do when he said, step forward. He's, he's standing in the middle of the synagogue where all eyes are on him. No one is rising to his defense to help him but Jesus. Jesus doesn't care what the Pharisees think about him. He's going to do what's right. See, it takes courage to do the right thing. And those around you are intimidating and, and hard-hearted towards the less fortunate. It takes courage to stand up and say, I'm going to do what God wants me to do, and I don't care about the fallout. There's a lot of peer pressure in this world. There's also a lot of peer pressure in our churches. Some of our churches, you know, Freshwater being the obvious exception, some of our churches don't do the things that they should be doing to make this world a better place for people who are different. It takes courage to stand up and say, you know what, that's, that's not the right thing to do. And I'm going to let my voice be heard. 
to bring about change, to, to bring about a difference, to make a difference in the lives of others. There are people who value their religious traditions more than relationships, more than the needs of others. And they're responsible for hindering many profession Christians from getting involved in social justice, or compassion and mercy and relief, or whatever that looks like. And it's time for us to be bold and courageous and say, okay, Lord, where can I make a difference? Maybe there's one life, maybe there's one person around you and you see that there are hopes and dreams are being crushed. And you're being willing to be courageous enough to say, I know I can make a difference in this person's life and I'm willing to do so. Jesus says to this man, whose arm has been withering for years, he says, stretch out your hand. If Jesus asked you to do the impossible, he just empowered you to do it. See, for years, the one thing this man could not do was stretch out his hand. Beloved, when God speaks, inherent in that word is power. You may feel like, I, I can't love that person because they're different. I, I can't be around that person. I don't like them. I don't like their ways. I can't handle this situation anymore. If God tells you to do something, guess what? He just empowered you to do it. Remember in Romans 8 where uh, I think the old King James said the, uh, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That word literally means flash flood. You've been watching the news lately? Have you seen the floods, the flash floods that are devastating our country? God says, I flash flood my love through the hearts of my children, through the Holy Spirit. When I realized what that text said, I said, wow, I've been working real hard to block God's love from flowing through my heart to people that I don't want to love. See, we, we pick and choose who we want to love, don't we? I want to love this person. I don't want to love that one. I just blocked intentionally, deliberately, the love of God from flowing through my heart. That is a sin before a holy God. See, God can't help but love. That's his nature. And if you're his child, guess what? You have the capacity to love anybody and everybody that he wants you to love. Doesn't that put a new spin on relationships? I have no excuse. You have no excuse for not loving like Jesus. The capacity is there. He has already empowered you to love anyone and everyone that he brings into your life. So Jesus tells this man to stretch out your hand. And he doesn't say, Jesus, that's the one thing I've not been able to do for years. He responds in faith. And the text says he stretched out his hand. And his hand was restored instantly. Instantly. Do you have the faith to take God at his word and respond 
and believe that you can do anything and everything that he wants you to do? Do you realize how often God has taken one courageous man or woman and made a huge difference, not only in a local situation, but in this world? Because one person had the courage to stand up and try to do what was right by the power of God. I have a picture of Martin Luther King in my high school yearbook. He, he came to our high school in 1967. We graduated in 68. You can say I'm qualified to teach ancient history. I've been around a minute. Um, but anyway, most of us miss the, the magnitude of the, of the moment. And literally that next year, our, our own neighborhood was experiencing rioting and things. But the, the one quote that stuck with us, as he said, pick up books, not bricks. How many people pick up bricks? What they really need to pick up is some books and learn and become educated and put yourself in a position where God can use you to make a difference. This man walked into the synagogue, paralyzed, hurting, ostracized, ignored, and he walks out whole, healthy, changed, transformed because of an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know what baggage you might have walked in with today. What, maybe there's an emotional wound that you've been hiding and you walked in really needing someone to love on you and, and make you feel special and appreciated. And you say, I wish people would notice me the way God does. If we all learn to look at others through the eyes of Jesus, our neighborhoods would change. Our cultures would change. You may be the one to get the ball rolling. I hope you have the courage to do that. You would think that when people see God's power on display, they would all respond the right way. You notice that did not happen in our text? Look at verse 6. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. You would think if you were watching a dude who has the power to heal the sick, raise the dead, heal people who are paralyzed, that you would just bow down and worship him and agree with him. What did they do? The Pharisees went out and immediately started plotting with the Herodians how to destroy Jesus. The best example I can think of is this is kind of like the Democrats and the Republicans agreeing to work together on everything. Miraculous, right? <laughs> Pharisees and Herodians had no love for each other. The thing that united them was their hatred for Jesus because he was exposing their wickedness. Nobody has gone up to the man with the withered hand and said, Praise God, I know you're excited. I'm happy for you. You're healed. You can go back to work. Your dreams are not one word. They're in the synagogue. They're with the Bible scholars. He's still ignored. It is such a painful thing when God sends people into our houses of worship and we ignore them. 
If we start seeing people the way Jesus wants us to see them, we will love on them and make a difference and celebrate with them. I close with this. Religion will blind you. Relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ will give you sight. Do you see others as he wants you to see them? Do you see others as just, this is my brother and sister in Christ? And all of the externals are just diversity in Christ that he wants us to bring together to enrich all of us for our good and his glory, that we will praise him together, bringing all of our differences before his throne. They're all external, they're cultural, they're linguistic. Not enough to keep us separate. We're united in Christ, and until we get it right, we can't expect the world to get it right. So fresh water, God bless you. Keep doing what you're doing. God has put you in a position to make his name known, not just here in Wadsworth, but in many places. I pray that you'll see others the way Jesus wants you to see him, and then together we can praise him to the glory of God. Let's change whatever we can change. Let's be doing the right things when Jesus comes back, because everyone that we do not make friends with can become our enemies, and we need to be together on this. Amen? God bless you.